Welcome to Ecology, the student podcast hosted by UNCW Plastic Ocean Project, looking at the college perspective of local, statewide, national, and international environmental issues and how we can make a difference. My name is Sam Shores. I am the president of UNCW Plastic Ocean Project. My name is Avery Owen. I am the vice president of UNCW Plastic Ocean Project. And today we have another good friend of mine um, and somebody who does incredible work for the environment and also in Wilmington, North Carolina. Uh, I'd like to introduce my friend, Ellie Jones. Ellie, if you want to go ahead and say what you want to say, we'll get started. Absolutely. Hi, everyone. It's nice to meet you. My name is Ellie Jones. I am the founder and executive director of Everblue, and we're a ocean science communication nonprofit. Awesome. Um, And I know one of the biggest things that we see, especially with something as large as climate change, is communicating that to the public. There's so much, (laughs) I guess, even in the age, especially in misinformation, that we tend to lose sight of what we're supposed to do and what the actual issue is. And then on top of that, conveying something that's really complicated uh, into terms that anybody can understand, even without a scientific background. And I know that's exactly what Everblue does and really serving as this bridge to the community. Um, what's that like? I mean, what? how did you even come across this to start that? Especially because that's kind of a really unique way of coming into the nonprofit world. Well, we didn't even start as a nonprofit. We started as a kind of science communication initiative that actually was born out of my time in in college. So I'm not I'm no longer a college student, but I started Everblue when I was just a junior in college and I was studying marine biology at the time at the University of Oregon. And I realized during my studies in in marine science that I was learning about a lot of topics about current published research that was happening right as we were learning. Um, So we were getting access to a lot of these really interesting papers that were being published through all of these online journals. But I realized pretty quickly that most of the journals and the science were behind paywalls um, that we were only able to access because we were university students. And once you even got past the paywalls and were able to access the papers, a lot of the papers were written in this very scientific jargon, which is really useful when you're talking from scientist to scientist, because you can say all of these larger words that explain exactly what you're talking about and the exact phenomenon that you're trying to study. But when you're talking to someone who doesn't study science, it just creates this massive barrier that's really difficult to try and overcome and create relationships and create connections. And so when you're a scientist and you're writing a scientific paper, the title of your paper might be Anthropogenic Effects on Anthropora Xanthogramica when it's just as easy to say human effects on a green sea anemone. They mean the exact same thing, but one is you know, very useful to science as a product, but it's not very useful when it comes to actually figuring out, okay, so what do we do about 
human effects on the green sea anemone. So if human effects are causing some kind of a change in the chemistry or the temperature of the water that that sea anemone is living in, what do we actually do about it? And so once I realized that there was this gap between science as it's being published and science as it's getting to the public, I realized that we had to do something about it. Yeah, I feel like it's almost like when you're playing a game of telephone and the message as you move it from person to person, when it starts out, it's really like coherent and you understand what it is. And then by the time it gets to the last person, it doesn't make any sense and no one knows what you're trying to say. And (laughs) when you're trying to communicate those things, I mean, even as a student, I mean, I still have a lot to learn, but when I'm going into my marine mammals class, I understand what that's being told because I love marine mammals. But when someone starts talking chemistry and organic chemistry to me, I typically have no idea what's being told. I will usually lose interest and be like, okay, I have no idea what you're trying to say. So I'm going to maybe ask a few questions, but I just can't digest what you're trying to convey to me because that's not my specialty. And even within the science community, you can see some of those types of barriers on, okay, what do I need to do in this field? But I don't understand what you're asking me to do. And I feel like that's such a huge issue, especially when you're trying to ask, essentially, you know, the whole world or in our case, like a community or the country to do something environmentally related when, you know, you can't even get past that first barrier of what are they trying to tell me? Like, what even is the topic here? Um, so I feel like that's a really important yeah, thing ex- that you try and communicate over. Exactly. And I don't, I'm not sure if either of you remember, but back in 2016, do you remember reading the obituary to the Great Barrier Reef that someone wrote? Uh, I did not. I don't know, Avery, did you read that? Yes, I do remember that. It went viral. Someone wrote a obituary to the Great Barrier Reef, essentially saying, hey, the Great Barrier Reef is dead. And it was written about a very real topic, which you guys might have heard about as well. It's it's called coral bleaching. Um, and that's where corals turn white and they lose their most important food source when the water that they live in gets too hot. But then someone found this information. It was a journalist. They found this information, but then in their mind, it got twisted to, okay, so the Great Barrier Reef is dead. And scientists all over the world went, no, 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 no. Like, okay, let's take a step back. Let's try and figure this out because the Great Barrier Reef is dying. Parts of it are dying because these corals are dying and they're not going, not all of them are going to be able to um, come back from these bleaching events. But this obituary just went viral and everyone kind of went into the state of, okay, well, it's dead. There's nothing we can do about it. And so when you get to a point where people feel like they are hopeless to try and fix an issue, people really stop working. You know, the thing that we need is not fear because that's not a very like, that's not a very useful driver. I think a much more useful driver of action is hope. And so that's what we try and do with Everblue is we try and take the science and break it into very digestible, small bits that people can pick up on a daily basis to learn more about these really heavy issues, but also not get like 
completely depressed and bogged down by any one big declaration of, hey, here's the signs and this is how bad it is. Yeah, I think that's awesome because it it not only breaks down that that barrier, but it also makes the science more relatable when you can explain it in, in simpler terms. And um, I was just learning about this and I took a scientific writing course last semester and I was learning about the difference between science communication and science elaboration and explanation. And you, it's mm-hmm. easy to communicate science without it really getting to a person. But if you make it relatable, if you put it into terms that are not just simple, but, you know, relevant to that person, um, then, you know, it, it reaches deeper. It makes more sense. And um, I found that a really useful sort of realization to focus more on the elaboration and making things more relevant rather than trying to communicate something that's, you know, lofty and hard to understand. Exactly. And so that's what we that's what we kind of aspired to do as Everblue before we were even a before we were even a nonprofit back when we just initially started this as a initiative where we wanted to try and communicate science well. So I sat there thinking, okay, so I know there's this barrier that we need to bridge in between science when it gets published and science when it reaches the public, but what on earth do I do about that? What tools do I have? And at the time, um, a lot of people were coming out with these um, social media platforms as ways to try and communicate with people. And I thought, oh my goodness, there's a way that we can try and communicate science to people and everyone has it at their fingertips constantly. So we started Everblue as a social media initiative to try and just put little bits of science information into people's social media feed on a regular basis. And then it just got so popular from there that we made our website, our newsletter, and we started growing into what we are today. But when we initially came up with the idea for our communication, we figured, okay, so we know we want to try and connect the research to people. So we started posting these research posts where we take a and I say we, I have, a, I have a team of people who are helping me. It's not just me. Um, and in fact, I could not do nearly half the things that we do if I didn't have them. And so my, my team of researchers will go into the scientific literature online. They'll search for all of these new published papers that have been published maybe in the last five, 10 years. We try and keep them pretty relevant. Um, and then they'll read the paper and then they'll summarize it. They'll what, what we call translate it into a short two to three sentence summary of the most important parts of information from that paper. And then we'll post it on social media. And then directly following each of our research posts, we do a post that we call a tip post, some kind of a sustainability tip. And we take a picture of one of the Everblue team members holding something like maybe the tip is, um, okay, so this paper that we, that we covered, that we summarized and translated was about um, the amount of plastic pollution that gets dumped into the ocean on a yearly basis. So then maybe the tip is something about reducing plastic in your own home. So maybe instead of using those traditional little plastic containers of floss, and the floss is also plastic, there's this company that will send you refills for this little glass jar 
that uses floss that's not plastic, you know? So then we'll take a picture of one of the Everblue team members, maybe holding up that little glass jar, and then we'll post it with the explanation in the caption, like, hey, remember how we talked about this paper that talked about the amount of plastic that goes into the ocean every year? You can reduce that amount of plastic that goes into the ocean every year by maybe making this switch. And so we try to keep them really small and really attainable for people because we want people to be able to pick and choose the different changes that they can make in their lifestyle and not feel like the only option they have is either to like buy an electric car or do nothing, you know, because some, even though those big actions are really helpful, they're not always attainable to people. And they're not also always something that's going to fit into everyone's life. So we try and make the tips really small. And then we made the choice early on to actually connect it to a picture of one of our team members. So people can see, hey, these are things that we do as well. These are little changes that we can make in our life. And so when we first started running this initiative, one of the big kind of mantras that we ran off of was learning, sharing, and changing. So my team will go in, we'll learn about the science, we'll change some part of our own life. We'll look at our own homes and think, okay, what can I do to reduce my energy? What can I do to reduce my plastic? And then we'll share that with our audience um, and then hope that they will follow in our change. So it's all about learning together as a Everblue community and changing our actions together as a community rather than just having the Everblue team come out and say, oh, look, here are all the things that we do perfectly sustainably already, you know? So it's all about trying to create that sense of community and make sure that everyone knows like, hey, we're learning all of this with you. This is all science that's coming out right now, like as we're, as we're studying this. That's awesome. I've been following your Instagram account for a while, and I really do see that sort of community that you've built. And all the photos are not only you have an awesome color scheme and they're, you know, they're fun to look at, but they provide such helpful information. And one of the things that I really like about your way of setting up the sort of paper description and summary and then the tip is Personally, when I get done reading a paper or a summary of a paper for that matter, in the environmental field, I typically end up feeling hopeless and like there's nothing that I can do. So when you follow it up with that small tip, you not only give people, you know, something else to think about, something something to channel their energy into, you know, that's productive, but you also sort of take away that element of anxiety. And I think um that's just an awesome and productive way to um, educate and then also encourage change. Exactly. And I, I am a optimistic person by nature. So not everyone might share this particular view, but I, I truly think that when humans see an issue that's as large and as grave as climate change and ocean pollution and overfishing, and loss of biodiversity. Like, I don't think that people want to just sit back and do nothing. The only problem is they're not always given things to actually productively do about it. So that's what we're really trying to hammer in with Everblue is like, hey, these might be small, but they're things that you can do and continue to do. And if you continue to follow us, if you continue to 
read our blogs and get our email newsletters, we will continue to faithfully provide you with these things that you can do so we can all take small steps together towards more what we call ocean conscious or ocean friendly lifestyles. And you're totally right. It's all about taking away that sense of hopelessness and being able to turn it into a sense of action, even if it is small action. Yeah, I feel like when you try and tell people, especially in our field, is we need to entirely get rid of plastic, you know, as as soon as we can, really, you know, that makes people feel like you're telling me I have to stop a multi-billion and trillion dollar industry. I don't think I can do that. Versus saying, hey, if we all switched to these different companies or all switched to these different aspects of life that really did make a difference, even if it is something like, you know, finding a zero waste shampoo bar or something mm-hmm. or buying locally that it actually can shift that industry tremendously or the demand itself could cause the industry to change uh, to accommodate the needs and demands of the consumers themselves, for example. And so it kind of shows that one is I've kind of talked about this in the previous episode was positive peer pressure is that if everyone else around you is trying to make the right change, you know, and encouraging that in a, in a good manner, um, that, is like, hey, you can easily take this step and here's a viable solution that's placed right in front of you. You don't have to search for it. It's right here. You can take it or leave it, but we're all going to try and make that step too. I feel like it encourages people themselves because they see their friends or their family or a bunch of people even on social media having fun, Mm -hmm. doing those changes, trying to live a healthier life that also reciprocates into a healthier planet makes people much more likely to step up and do that change versus saying, we have to shut down the plastic industry right now and you guys will be responsible sort of thing. It puts a lot of weight upon the person who's viewing that like, wait, I have to do that? Uh I don't think I can make that happen. But creating that sense of community um, from what I've seen you guys do really delivers it in a manner that is encouraging, but also saying like, there's a very real issue, but (laughs) we can do it. We don't have to shut it down. Like, it's not like a David and Goliath situation. It's more like a, I don't even know how you would like, (laughs) it's an, it's a level playing field because you can make, everyone makes those changes. Everyone gets something done. It's not this massive task um, as it seems. And it's not like, it's an inevitability that the world is going to end. Exactly. And, you know, we always, um, try to like bring in that sense of community. And you're right with the positive peer pressure aspect of it too. And something that we almost play off of as a, you know, social media um, initiative or like a nonprofit that has a lot of our communications very based in social media, we're definitely playing off of this idea that sustainability is is like a fad right now. It's a very popular thing to be doing. Um, And some people are really, you know, some people are more, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Just, I don't know, have been criticizing that because like, okay, if it's a fad, that means it might go away at some point. But from a communications perspective, I'm all for it because the more that we can open up doors to those kinds of conversations, the better. And if 
sustainability is already in people's heads, it's so much easier to open that door and then slowly get to talk about, hey, well, these are all the reasons why we do sustainability. Like These are the things that are happening in the ocean right now. And so years ago, when the whole... Um, when that video came out of that scientist down in Costa Rica who pulled the straw out of the turtle's nose and then suddenly straws saving turtles, like not using straws saving turtles became this huge fad. I almost didn't care. I'm like, you guys can talk about straws as much as you want, because guess what? That's like a trampoline into the next subject. You know, that's a super easy way to jump right into plastic pollution as a whole. So while some people are kind of critical of, okay, we can't just you like stop using plastic straws and the problem is solved. It's like, no, absolutely not. But that's a super easy way to kind of get people's attention and then go into the rest of the problem because you have to start somewhere. And you also touched on um, a really interesting topic that I wanted to bring up and just the idea of where the pressure to kind of fix this falls. And especially because both of you are working with Plastic Ocean Project. Let's go ahead and talk about plastic. Um, there's this really kind of big conversation going on right now in the field of like plastic science of where does the responsibility to fix the plastic issue fall? It doesn't fall on producers, like people in industry who actually create plastic. Does it fall on consumers, the people who are buying that plastic and making that choice? Or does it fall on legislators, people who are creating laws that allow industry to be able to create more plastic? So is it the consumers, producers, or um, policymakers? And I was at a conference one time where someone posed this question to the entire room. It was literally a room full of people who'd been studying plastic pollution their entire lives. And then they had us raise our hands based on who we thought was most responsible to try and fix this issue if we had to choose one. And the room was split like in, in exact thirds. It was crazy to see that. And then we got to have this great conversation about how if we really want to try and tackle this issue in our lifetimes, which we have to, we are going to have to have a concerted effort to try and tackle each of the groups at the same time. So it's not just consumers, it's not just policymakers, and it's not just industry. It has to all happen bit by bit all at the same time. Because if we just try and tackle one of the like one of the tiers, then it's going to go a lot slower than if it happens like all at once. But I think that there's a really big cause for optimism because we are seeing that happen. You know, we're seeing consumers making these choices to buy things that are packaged in less plastic. And because of that, we're seeing a lot of businesses start to put out products that are made from maybe reused or recyclable materials or not packaging their things in plastic as much when they ship them. And then we're also starting to see, you know, from the legislative standpoint, we're seeing a lot of different states putting through these um, bills that ban styrofoam and plastic bags. And obviously, the coronavirus pandemic kind of put a little bit of a halt on that because suddenly single-use plastic was an issue of health. Um, but we are seeing a lot of these kind of movements by each one of those groups 
at the same time. And I think that that's a really, really hopeful thing. Yeah, I think that's something that, <clears throat> oh, excuse me. Um, I think that's something, you know, that as I kind of have been uh, learning, I really did hit the ground running with this um, sort of environmental initiative. Wasn't something that was always the first thing on my mind because I hadn't been exposed to it until I really got to college. And then seeing where that goes. I mean, when I met everyone at Plastic Ocean Project as a freshman, it was that positive peer pressure like, hey, we're all doing this thing that's good for the planet and we want you to join. And I was like, oh my gosh, I found my people. That's great. Yeah, right? (laughs) It's the best feeling ever. You know, you have that community. But then there's this looming issue of, well, we got to tackle the plastic industry. And do we hold them accountable or is it our fault for buying it? Do we convince other people to stop buying plastic? Do we pressure lawmakers to ban it immediately? And I think the best way to describe it is that top-down, bottom-up approach where it is the that concerted effort simultaneously to meet in the middle where we say, okay, um, you know, plastic industry you need to reduce ASAP. You need to (laughs) do these things and be held accountable for the pollution that has been caused because in so many cases, people don't have another choice but to buy plastic. Um, Exactly. But then it is on the consumer that says, we want an alternative. We're going to demand an alternative because we need it. And then also making the effort to reduce their own plastic. Um, And then also... You know, having these different phases of lawmakers saying, okay, in the next few years, we are going to completely get rid of plastic. We are going to need to shift the way that we approach our waste systems. And having those things, I feel like, in those different segments and efforts where it is like, if I change my plastic waste, that puts a pressure on plastic producers. If I ask my lawmaker to, you know, endorse this bill, that puts pressure on them to do it and then it comes back to us that says well now you have to follow through with it and and do that your part but in a way that's like you know if we all meet in that middle part we do win we mm-hmm. will be able to make those efforts where it's not like okay all of the public goes zero waste because then that other than the fact that maybe plastic industry will say all right we'll change <laughs> maybe your lawmaker will <laughs> okay i see a trend here maybe we'll just put out a bill but doing it you know at this almost all at once effort but in ways that distributes the responsibility and and action across different people instead of saying all right general public you lead the charge because that is a huge huge pressure because we don't know (laughs) the full direction on where to go we can say we want this and that's the future we want but we don't necessarily have executive power. We don't. We can't go and go into that executive meeting with a plastic company and say, "This is what we're going to do." Yeah. Well, and also, I think it's important to note that you know, putting pressure on just the consumer and not the other two groups, which is what was done for for a long time. You know, for a long time, it was all consumers like, "Okay, make this choice to use less plastic." Um, but the danger of that is that. For the most part, I I truly think that using less plastic actually is pretty cost effective. Um, buying things in bulk and not buying things with lots of 
plastic packaging can can be a cheaper option. Um, but oftentimes, a lot of these brand new products that companies are putting out that are made with alternative materials to plastic, especially clothing that doesn't use synthetic materials, it can get really, really expensive. And so I think it is worth noting when you put pressure only on the consumers, you create another rift, um, an economic rift between, you know, people who might not be able to or want to spend some of their money on these more expensive, but plastic free products. Absolutely. And I think that there is something related to what you were saying about how expensive it can be to make really sustainable choices in some fields. I think we have an issue with the stress that we put on the term environmentalist because we think of being an environmentalist as like an all or nothing thing when really we should all be sort of environmentalists on various levels. There shouldn't be this pressure to have an all or nothing mindset because, you know, as we know, every little thing makes a difference and it shouldn't be all or nothing. So I think um, it's hard to ask someone to make sustainable choices all the time when the media is a lot of the times telling people it's either all or nothing. So I think the way that you guys have emphasized um, making small changes and the value of those small changes um, is really useful to sort of divert attention away from that all or nothing environmentalism. Yeah, exactly. And so like you said, it all comes back to the communication of the issue at its core and saying, hey, here are the problems, but here are small things that we can all do about it. And then essentially just giving people, you know, we put out about two or three different research and tip pairings on our social media every single week. And so we're giving people just constant ideas about things that they can do to be more sustainable. So our hope is that our audience will just pick and choose the ones that fit their life the best so that they can start to move towards more ocean-friendly lifestyles, but not have that pressure put on to, okay, just go zero waste completely right now. So I think we are starting to see a really positive change, not just in Everblue's audience, but in science communication as a whole when it comes to sustainability and trying to break it down into these more attainable kind of actions. I completely agree. I think that's exactly what it's all about is bridging the gap, being the communicator and and emphasizing the voice that we have um, and doing that as a group. Um, And that's that's where you make the the big changes is is having the message and empowering people to make those choices um and and with that i will conclude um this podcast i thought um ellie it was so amazing to have your experience and and going through all of this uh with the communication and the importance of the work that you're doing um, and how that comes back to this big picture that we're trying to see. Um, and so I want to thank everybody for listening and, and tuning into our podcast. If you want to check us out on Instagram, it's at UNCWPOP. Look at our website, uncwpop.org. And uh, you can always check us out for more info. And if you are interested in following Ocean Everblue to see all of our weekly science information and sustainability tips, You can find us online at oceaneverblue.org 
or follow all of our social media pages at Ocean Everblue. We would love to have you as a part of our community to learn and share and change with you. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thanks, Sam. Thanks, Avery. (laughs) Thanks, Avery.